0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus.
1: Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 23. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And over in Mark chapter 12, looking at verses 41 to 44 and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny and he called to his disciples to him and he said to them truly I say to you this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing into the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on.
0: We started this series last week looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. And he was praying that that there be days like this, you guys. <laughs> he was praying for this kind of day. When he, when he said in Ephesians 3, This is the reason, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He was talking about days like this that we see people who whose hearts have become a dwelling place for Jesus himself, walking in the fullness of God and following him to places like Japan and, and across the street to their neighbors and, and and man, I love it. I love it. It's so good. Do you, do you have a longing to grow like that too? Do you have that longing, that desire? I love what I see in Paul's prayer here, and I love what I see God doing here in our church now. His passion and yearning that we would grow, that that our very lives would be a place that, that Jesus would dwell in his fullness. That's where the title of this series comes from, Full Hearted. We don't just want to see us grow in how we handle our finances, that, that's just a means to an end to get to the place that we are growing in the fullness of God's goodness and glory and that our lives are a place where he dwells. I love it. I love it. And that's, that's the heart behind this series. I know finances are a thing that if, if, if you've been around the church very much or even if you've been far from the church and you've just seen and heard some of the headlines, you know that, man, Christians can get way off off the rails when they start talking about money, right? That can happen. Well, the scriptures root what we do with our finances in this desire that we would grow that our lives would reflect this fullness and goodness of Jesus. So that's the aim, that's the goal. And that's, that's why as we enter this series, we're looking at finances from a scripturally bound perspective that says that they are one of the ways that God uses, one of the things, the tools he uses to grow our faith. That's, that's how scripture approaches the finances. They are one of the tools that God uses to grow our faith. They are not an end in and of themselves. No, they are a means to a greater end that God would grow us to the place that we have a kind of faith that relies upon him to grow to the place that maybe if God calls you, you would pack up everything and move halfway around the world and, and offer your life as a sacrifice of praise. He may call you to, to walk across your backyard and share the gospel over your back fence too. He's His calling when we have hearts that are full of this kind of faith uh, they, they is widely varied and I would love to see how God grows us. And last week we explored how our finances can grow our faith by taking a look at some of Jesus' foundational teachings from Matthew chapter 6. You may remember some of this. We looked at unpacking the way jesus talks about the connection between our wallets and our hearts and 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 how how there's this this deep connection between what our money does and where our heart goes you might remember uh how god invites us to put our finances into his hands not because he, he needs the money no he, he owns everything he's got it all already the only thing he doesn't have is your heart So he invites you to place your finances in his hands so that our hearts will follow. We spent some time unpacking sort of this confusing section in the midst of Matthew 6 that talks about healthy eyes. And we we looked at the cultural context. Jesus was continuing to teach more and more about the connection of money in our hearts. And and for the Jewish culture, the eyes are part of the heart. And and we learned about how we're designed to operate with, with great generosity, that the healthy eyes actually, Actually, it's a generous eye. It's seeing opportunities to exercise generosity because that puts our hearts, our finances into God's hands. And today, we're going to take a closer look at this concept of generosity in general. And in particular, we're looking at this, asking this question that, that if our finances are one of the tools that God uses to grow our faith and our souls, our inner being, are, are, they're designed to operate with generosity, What kind of generosity actually grows our faith? Because I know you've experienced generosity. It's easy to get jaded about generosity in our world today because, because you know that sometimes when people give money, there's like like strings attached, you know, (laughs) like spider webs attached. (laughs) And and you can see this, it feels laughable sometimes. I mean, you even see this out in the scientific community. If you see or hear of a study that's being done, you can figure out what conclusions they're going to come to, how the science is going to go if you follow the money to see who funded the study, right? Like we see that kind of generosity that kind of leaves us jaded a little bit. I do, one of the great privileges of my role as a minister is I also get to, I get to serve people as they get ready to be married in premarital counseling. And I've gotten to walk with people through feeling like, oh man, I feel like this gift that my in-laws are wanting to give, it has all these strings attached, you know, like like, like we, we get jaded when we look at generosity sometimes. And so I think it's good to ask the question, what kind of generosity actually grows our faith? Because there's lots of different kinds of generosity that we see out there, both in the world out there and even in our own lives. And it it makes sense because if what Scripture says is true, that if, if our money goes where our heart, excuse me, our heart goes where our money is, if, if, if we are, are being generous, it, it can be really easy to use our generosity to entertain all kinds of mixed motives. So this is a good question to ask. What kind of generosity grows our faith? And here's where I love, one of my favorite ways to study the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry is to dig into his direct teaching, which we did last week, looking at part of his sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, looking at what he taught about money, and then, like we're doing this week, Look and see how does Jesus apply these ideas in real life and everyday life. So that's what we're doing today. We looked at what he said about finances last week. Today we get to dive into how does he apply this in real life. And we're, we're in particular focusing on this question, what kind of generosity grows our faith so uh, if you haven't already open your bibles and there's a bible in front of you you can look at if you'd like to mark chapter 10 we're looking at this story of this young man who who encountered jesus and a couple of context notes as we dive into Mark. You know, this is, we were in Matthew last week, and, and, and Matthew's gospel is one of the longest gospels, and, 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 and he, he records in lots of great detail. Mark is unique. He's, his account is, is the most brief, and, and it can, but it contains a lot of the same content that we see in the other accounts, which means that he's using his words really carefully and intentionally. And, and not that the others aren't, but, but this is just sort of a defining characteristic of Mark, and so here's, here's where as we dive through this, look at, look at the details, pay careful attention to the details that Mark chooses to include. Something else here, you know, the title of this passage in your Bible may read something like the rich young man, and uh, I just wanna remind us too that as we focus on scripture as God's word, this, this heading of this section is actually added with the verse numbers by the editors later, um, and, and let's, let's remember as we dive into this that the first thing we know about this young man based on the text is not his wealth. That comes at the end. The first thing we know is that this man was eager to ask Jesus a question. So he, he may have been wealthy, but the, the, the defining characteristic about him until the very end of the story is not his wealth. It's his eagerness to grow. He's got a desire to grow. And he comes to Jesus, interrupts him as he's on a journey. I mean, just like stops him on his way to the airport and and humbles himself in front of Jesus. Look at the first two verses here, verses 17 and 18. He, He gets down literally on his knees in front of Jesus, chases him down and says, hey, teacher, teacher, he's got this burning question. He wants to grow and he asks him, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here, the man obviously either hasn't been paying attention to everything Jesus has said about who he is because he calls him teacher, not God, and he doesn't really see, doesn't realize this is, this is God incarnate. This is the son of God I'm speaking to. But, but, but he calls him good teacher. He's got respect for him. And, and then in verse 18, in a preview kind of of the rest of Jesus' answer to the man, he says, Why do you call me good? He perceives this man, doesn't know who he really is. Only God is good. <laughs> and, and Which is funny because he essentially comes to Jesus with the question, what can I do to be good enough to get into heaven? How can I become good? And he says, hey, you, good teacher, you seem like you're good. How can I be that good, good enough to get into heaven? And Jesus is like, hey, just to be clear, there's only one who's good, and that's God himself. And so he, he kind of hints at the rest of his answer here. And then in verses 19 and 20, as we keep reading here, Jesus, he, he, he responds to him. He says, after he asks why do you say I'm good? He says, you know the commandments. Jesus observes that this is a, a, a pious man, somebody who, who, who obviously knows what the law says. He says, you know the commandments already. You're aware of them. He sa- and he starts listing commandments. He picks a few, and, and he's, Jesus isn't like identifying the most important commandments here. He does that actually in a different spot in Mark's gospel when he's asked that particular question. But here, he's kind of just like grabbing a representative sample of, of the commandments of the law. It's like he's saying, hey, you know what the whole law says. It's very clear. You've got to do all of this if you want eternal life. This is what it takes. And the man looks at him, responds, and says, well, I've done all this since I was young. I mean, he, he's kept all of the law since he was a youth, since he was sort of of the age of accountability. He's like, I got that. Now, the man already knew that before he came to Jesus, so you can tell there is something in his heart that he realizes himself. In this interesting bit of just like, like self-knowledge, he knows he's missing something. And he comes to Jesus hoping Jesus will identify it for him. So he says, I've, I've actually honored all of this stuff. Like I've followed the law. I've, I, I've been perfect in it since my youth. And if, if we're trying to understand the nature of generosity, and we heard the story read, so we kind of know what comes next. Um, if he's been following the law and he knows the law, then we can assume that he's actually already Being quite generous, he's expressing generosity in his life. He's already giving his his money already because the, the law required a certain amount of generosity from people that adhere to it. And we're going to do a quick detour just so that we can understand and appreciate fully what Jesus asked him to do. Um, There were actually three different tithes, three different special gifts, offerings that were commanded of God's people. If you go back and dig through the law, the commandments that Jesus is talking about. The first tithe was the Levitical tithe. That's from Numbers chapter 18, verse 21. I got it up on the screen here. You can take a look at it. And this essentially this this was a tithe. This was this was a portion of the people's income that they were supposed to give to the Levites. Now, the Levites were one of the tribes. And they were not given an inheritance of land. They didn't. That meant in an agricultural society, they weren't growing their own food. They didn't have place to, you know, pasture for their sheep, uh, their cows. You know, they they didn't have the opportunity to earn a living the way others did. And they served in the temple. They were responsible for the ministry of the gathered, uh, it wasn't the church then yet, but at at that time, God's people, and they gathered to worship. They were responsible for that ministry. And so the, the people were all commanded to give a tenth, a tithe in Israel to the Levites. And that word tithe, it, it is a math word, <laughs> and it, it's a fraction. It's literally one-tenth. And so the people were required to take 10% of their barley or, or 10% of whatever it was that they had, their money, their, their income that year, and give it to the Levites. And then if you keep reading in, the, in this passage of Numbers, you actually see that God's heart here was not just to provide for the Levites, but he was being very consistent with what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6. Because he wanted the people's hearts to trust God. He even commanded the Levites, if you keep reading in Numbers 18, 25, and 26, he commanded them to take what they received and then take a tenth of that and give that as an offering. It says a tithe of a tithe, a tenth of a tenth. All of the people were to do this with what God provided for them. And, and, and you see God's purposes coming out in this, uh, even the fact that the Levites who received this, this tithe were to give. And so if you wonder, does your pastor give to your church? Uh-huh, I do, <laughs> because my heart needs to belong to Jesus and it needs to be invested here where, where God is working. And so we see this. This is a precedence all the way back in, in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. But that's not the only tithe, Right? If we turn to, to Deuteronomy chapter 14, we see another different kind of tithe. And this is Deuteronomy 14, to 23. This is known as the festival tithe. This was another percentage, another tenth, that the people were to carve out, and they were to give, and they were to save this up, and then they gather together for these, 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 these festivals, these feasts. And the Lord commanded God's people to get together and to celebrate what he had provided. And and the whole point of all this, look at the very end of this passage. The whole point of this, if you you look at the end here, he says uh, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. You see, God, when he shaped the culture of his people who would worship him, he said, at these points in the year, I want you to gather for this festival and that festival. And then you're, you're, in order to do that, when you get together, save a tenth of your income. This is, we're at 20% now, if you're counting. And, and pool that together, and you're going to throw this big party, and you're going to celebrate what God is doing and celebrate God's faithfulness so that you will learn to faith. Fear the Lord your God always. He's wanting their hearts to be drawn to him in awe and worship. This is another 10%. And then finally, if you keep reading in Deuteronomy chapter 14, you get get to this this last tithe, another tithe, and this one in Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29 happened every three years. The people were to take another 10th but on the third year, not every year, another tenth. And this was to be pooled within their communities to fill the storehouses so that those who were hungry or those who were sojourners, who were on a journey, who were immigrants, those, those who were part of the Levitical families, all these people would have food to eat. They could give generously to meet the needs of the poor. That's what this tithe was about. Every three years, another 10%. Math is hard, and so I've done the math for you. The rich young man here, the eager young man, he, when Jesus talks to him about obeying the law, he already was giving somewhere in the neighborhood of 23 and a third percent of his annual income is what that works out to. That's close, to 20, that's close to a quarter of, of his annual income. And that's assuming he's not making any other freewill offering gifts, which there's a place for that too. And you can see that in here. So we can see this man is already pretty darn generous. I'd call that generous, wouldn't you? A quarter of his income he's already giving. And, and so he's already, already very generous. But Jesus says he's missing something, doesn't he? He already is generous, but it's not the kind of generosity that grows his faith. There's something still missing. If we get back to Mark, look how Jesus responds to him. Verses 21 and 22. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. That's a big gift. Everything. Give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Jesus responds to the man, and, and he's, he's, his, even though he's remarkably generous, he's still missing something. I just love, look at, just take a look at this passage. Jesus, remember, Mark is, is he's, he's succinct with his words, but he takes the time to point this out. He's been interrupted on his way. He's going to miss his flight. He's going to miss the train. Whatever I don't know where he's going, but he's interrupted. He takes the time to look at this man. Look him in the eye. And Mark says that he loved him. And this love... This word for love, if you've been around the church, you may be familiar with this. He looked at him, and it says that literally he agapoed him. He, he loved him with this kind of love, this agapo love. That's a Greek word for love. Greek have, there's, there's a, a number of different words for love. This particular kind of love, this is perfect love. This is no strings attached love. This is the kind of love that only is looking out for the good of the one who is being loved. He looked at him and he loved him. Jesus loved this man, even though he was still missing something. (laughs) Jesus loved this man, even though he thought he could earn his way to a place where he was good enough to get to enter God's perfect heaven. Jesus looked at this man and even though even though he would reject him and walk away Jesus looked at him and he loved him with a no strings attached kind of love He looked at him and he loved him Have you seen that kind of love in somebody else's eyes before? Do you think this man in that moment, when Jesus loved him with this perfect love, you think he had any idea that he was staring into the eyes that were attached to the face with the mouth and the voice that had literally spoken creation into being? Do you think he understood that God himself came and poured all of his fullness into the body of a man so that he could look at him and express the kind of this kind of love? Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And the man, all he could see was the other 75% of his stuff that he just couldn't let go of. And says so he went away sorrowful, his heart. He had a heart emotional response. He went away sorrowful, disheartened because he had such great possessions. You know, there's very few people who walked away from Jesus disheartened like this. You can search the rest of, of Scripture and see. This, this, is, this is a rare occurrence. This doesn't happen very much. And you see Jesus start to unpack this for his disciples in verse 23, and Jesus looked around and says, it's really difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, it's not not impossible, but it's just really hard. You see Jesus here, like, like this, is, this is an example of the parable, the soils that Jesus taught in, in other places in his ministry when he identifies that, that the word of God the, the, is sown, the seed, and when it springs up in our lives, the soil of our hearts, sometimes it's choked out by the weeds, and he identifies the weeds as worries of this world and also the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth can, wealth can like change how we see things. It kept this man who looked into the eyes of his creator and God himself from seeing this perfect love because he was so wealthy, he went away sad. What kind of generosity grows our faith? Yeah, you know, I'm curious. What do you think the one thing was that, that this man was missing? Jesus looked at him with love and he says, You're missing one thing. What do you think that was? Yeah, I think if we look at what, what Jesus told him to do to go sell everything, really what this man was missing, the one thing that he was missing was like 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 the right equation in his life. He he had giving down perfectly. He was giving his following the law. But you see, his faith it, which is, remember, faith is reliance upon God. His faith was here and his, his stuff was here. He was missing a faith in greater proportion to his stuff so that he would rely on God more than his stuff. That's what he was missing. He was missing faith in greater abundance than his treasure because he clearly was already dem- demonstrating generosity with his life but it wasn't, It wasn't the kind of generosity that led him to trust God more than his stuff. And so so that's what we see here. Jesus tells him to sacrifice everything because that's what it would take for this particular man to place his heart with full trust and faith into the hands of Jesus who loves him with no strings attached. That's what it would take for him to trust Jesus. So what kind of generosity grows our faith? The generosity that grows our faith, it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Because true sacrificial generosity, it leaves us with nothing left to trust in except for God himself. And in fact, we actually see that in the kingdom of God, generosity is not measured in amounts of dollars or, or, or amounts of, of you know, donkeys or, or, or whatever it is, whatever currency you have, what they had then. Um, and this is our, our second passage today. If you turn the page in your Bible to Mark chapter 12, we see Jesus identify what, what, what generosity really looks like. We see that in the kingdom of God, generosity isn't measured with dollars, it's measured sacrifice sacrifice is the currency in God's kingdom and and so we see this with the poor widow that that Jesus sits down in the treasury of the temple opposite of this box this deposit box where people come and put in their money now, this is a free will offering box. This is, if you go back into the law, you see there is an opportunity for people to give a free will offering. This is not required by the law. This is above and beyond. And Jesus watches the wealthy people put money in. Now, these days, if, if a wealthy person makes a very large donation, the ACH transfer from their bank account doesn't make a lot of noise when it lands, you know? <laughs> But here, Jesus is with his disciples sitting opposite this box, and they're listening to the sound of large gold coins going in that box, making a huge clank. And then, in contrast to that, there's like this little tinkle that you probably couldn't even hear. You had to be watching this lady to see her put these two little coins in. And these two coins were equal to, like, basically minimum wage for one day's worth of labor. To say they equaled a penny is actually misleading. It's more like a fraction of a penny. This, she put almost nothing in there if you measure it in dollars. But Jesus looks at her and he calls his disciples around him. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow, she's put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. They contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on generosity is not marked by the amount generosity is marked by the sacrifice by the sacrifice this woman her finances were the opposite place of the rich young man right and it turns out her faith and reliance on God was also in the opposite place I wish, I wish we had a, a note here on like, like what she felt when she walked away. We know that, that the, the eager young man walked away full of sorrow. I, I wonder what she felt as she walked away. She put in everything that she had to live in. So generosity that grows our faith is sacrificial, but is sacrifice the only defining element of the kind of generosity that grows our faith? Is that it? And here's where I... I am so glad that we worship a God who goes before us. (laughs) We can pray that Jesus will go before you to Japan because he came here, he left heaven and came here to start this work. God goes before us. He is our living, resurrected example in every aspect of our life, even in suffering. We learned about that as we studied the book of Job this spring. And we also see him being the perfect example when it comes to sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We get a picture of what this looks like. And this fills out the picture of the kind of generosity that grows our faith. Uh, This is, if you're familiar with Hebrews, this is a famous passage. Hebrews 12, the first part, verse 1, talks about this great cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by and let us throw off every weight and every sin that clings to us and keeps us from running this race with Jesus. And then we get to verse 2. We get to be looking, but people looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who, why did he sacrifice? It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He sacrificed himself, his very life. And he did it because there was this joy set before him. There was this plan in place from the beginning of time that he would come and offer himself as a sacrifice. He would put himself in our place on the cross because there was joy on the other side. There was a plan and he did it with joy. I love it. I love it. He did it with joy. He looked at you... And he looked at me, and he loved us with this perfect love. And he said, I'm going to the cross for you. I'm sacrificing everything for you. And so we see, we see this fuller picture of Jesus' sacrifice, that he went to the cross with joy. And so here's, here's, here's how we, we fill this picture out here. Generosity that grows our faith, it's not just sacrificial. It's also joyful, and it's intentional. We see that pattern in Jesus himself that this joy set before him, this plan that God had to redeem us and draw us into him so that we could enjoy heaven forever with him. He had this plan to give us the most generous gift we could ever receive, eternal life in his perfect heaven, enjoying treasures together that cannot be lost or destroyed or stolen. It's an intentional plan that's been in place since the beginning of time, and he did it because he loves you. He loves you, and he wants your heart. He wants you to know this love by placing your heart in his hands, and he did it with great joy. That's the kind of generosity that grows our faith. It's patterned after the sacrifice of Jesus. It's joyful and it's intentional. It's that kind of sacrifice. So I want to invite you today to an honest inventory. Does your generosity, does it grow your faith? Does it look like this? Does it look like our pattern for generosity? Does it look like the work of Jesus who who sacrificed himself with great joy and, and with this plan and intention that had been in place since the dawn of time? Does your generosity grow your faith because it reflects this work of Jesus? Is it sacrificial? Is it joyful? Is it intentional? I want to encourage you to be intentional with your sacrifice. And so your homework today, we're getting practical here. Your homework is to make a plan with your budget. And some of you are like, I've been doing this for years, and, and I've, I've been making a, a, a plan for my budget for years. Your homework is to go make a budget plan, or if you already have one, to refresh it and, and make it new. Uh, but I, I want to invite you to make a plan that gives a purpose for every single dollar that God has provided to you. Now, Jesus is not standing here telling you that you have to sell everything that you own and give it to him in order to follow him. He may call you to do that, but that's between him and you. But he is inviting us to a kind of generosity that grows our faith and reliance upon him that's sacrificial, joyful, and intentional. So I want to invite you to be intentional by making a plan for your budget. If you've never done this before, I've got a, some resources for you. You can download this at sharethelife.org slash livestream. It's also, they've got printouts available at the, at, at the welcome desk in the foyer. I want to invite you, make a plan, be intentional with how you spend your money so you can be intentional with the way you exercise generosity. And we're going to talk more about that next week. I also want to invite you, if you've never unpacked what the Bible teaches, there's a lot of wisdom in Scripture for how we can be effective stewards of the money God gives us. Uh, we've got a great, a great course here called Financial Peace University. You can check that out. I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, but please prayerfully, prayerfully create a plan. Be intentional and I also want to invite you, be, be prayerfully evaluating in that plan your generosity. Is it sacrificial? Is it joyful? Is it intentional? Go to the, to get on your knees in front of Jesus like this eager young man and ask him these questions. Ask him, seek him, and let him lead you. And then, and then be obedient. I want to close with them. Just just a a a quick illustration, a a personal testimony. You know, my my wife and I, our our journey together with with generosity and giving, it started in Craig's office. (laughs) He did premarital counseling with us and back at his old church in Aurora. And he challenged us to do this, to be intentional with the finances that God has given us to make a budget plan, and he also challenged us to give in a way to let our generosity with whatever God provided to us grow in a way that, that it was sacrificial and it was intentional, and he invited us to do this with great joy. And so we were eager to get married, and we did this, we, and it was awesome. And we, we got married, and we had no money. <laughs> we, we were both baristas, and one of us was a full-time student, and the other one had a philosophy and theology degree so like we were we were very poor and but we had made this commitment together with great joy that we had a budget we had a plan and we knew we knew how much money was coming in we knew what we were giving we were being intentional and sacrificial and we even though this you know this man who followed the law he was giving a quarter of his money we started at 10 percent, and it was like it was a sacrifice and I'll never forget our first year of marriage we've been down that we've been working and it was it was awesome but we had a medical thing come up and it was one of those things where it was like like what do we do we worked for we were baristas we worked for a company that had great benefits for part-time people like us and um, so we had good insurance but we knew that going to the er to take care of this medical issue would cost us a hundred dollar copay we didn't have a (laughs) hundred dollars And I still remember, like, what do we do? We called my mom. She's a nurse. And she was like, well, this could be nothing, but it could be everything. You should go in. And we're like, oh, man, okay. So we went in, and we just were kind of sweating this bill coming in. I don't know if you remember this story, Craig. We sweated this bill coming in. And, they, you know, they take like a year to bill you or whatever. So it was a long time. Um, but we knew, we knew that this bill was going to come in that was not in our budget. And we also knew how much we were giving to the church we knew what our sacrifice was. And we knew that this $100 was like well over half of what we gave to the church every month. And we're like, what, <laughs> maybe, like God, should we like pay this bill and, and cut back on what we say? And, and, and we just felt like, no, we shouldn't do that. You know, we, we looked at the Old Testament, Malachi, is the only place God says, test me. You bring the full tithe in. We're like, well, we're bringing 10, it was, it was like, we sweated about this, guys, it was hard. <laughs> and we just, we kept being faithful and sacrificial and trying to choose joy in it, but, like, honestly worrying about it. And then Craig invited me into his office, and he handed me this card. He said, I, just, I get to be a delivery person today. And we hadn't been, I, I don't know if, we, if somebody knew about the, but it, but there was $100 in this card, <laughs> And and it was this this beautiful reminder of God's provision, not because we were faithful, but it, it reminded us that God is faithful even when we doubt, even when we're anxious. And I tell you what, we needed to trust in God's faithfulness for things that would come later that were harder than paying a hospital bill. We needed to trust in God's faithfulness down the road. When I, I, I still remember making the first, my first mandatory reporting phone call as a youth pastor. And I put somebody in jail because of something they did. And I was like, God, are you going to protect my family? Because this guy's going to get out. <laughs> He's going to get out, and I was worried. But I could remember the time he provided 100 bucks when I needed it. And remember, he's faithful, and it grew my faith. It grew my trust. We wouldn't have known just how how faithful God is if we didn't have an intentional plan. We didn't have a budget. and If we didn't know what it would cost us to keep being faithful in our our sacrificial generosity. Do you know? Do you know if your generosity is sacrificial or not? Do you know the ways that God provides for you? I want to invite you today into the kind of generosity that will grow your faith and your trust in God because it's sacrificial, it's joyful, it's intentional, and it springs from this love that God has for us. I want to invite you to be generous so that your faith will grow. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we know that you long for our hearts. And I pray that everybody here today, with our eyes closed, as we pray that we would see your face, that we would see the face of our Savior who looks at us with a kind of love that is beautiful, there's no strings attached. Lord, help us to trust in your love. Help us to trust in your provision. Lord, I pray that whatever it is in our lives that keeps us from walking in the kind of trust that, that is willing to place everything in your hands, Lord, I pray I pray that you, you would overcome those barriers. Help us to see the power of your faithfulness and to walk in a way that relies upon you completely. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.